Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul declared that it was his privilege to preach and to teach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. How much time do you spend searching into the riches of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Do you have a lifestyle of laboring to love Jesus more deeply and more intimately? Are you consistently trying to help others to know Jesus and walk with Jesus more deeply? Let's open our Bible now to Ephesians chapter 3 that we might get a deeper understanding of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love Jesus, growing to obey Jesus, right? It's, we say it every teaching, it's the meaning of life, growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, so today we're, uh, we're in Ephesians chapter three. Lord willing, we'll do verses 1 through 13. Um, just good stuff here. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your favor, your mercy, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, we thank you that we have our Bible, Father. We thank you that we have the, the scriptures, Lord. But, Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect life for us. We thank you for dying a perfect death for us. We thank you that you are alive and risen today, Lord Jesus, and we worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Ephesians 3. Verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. Good stuff. Okay. So in verse one, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. If you turn back to chapter two, you can see when he says, for this reason, He's really speaking of, of really perhaps the whole content of everything he's written, but particularly in uh, chapter 2, verse 19, he says, consequently, and he's talking to the, the Ephesian Christians who are Gentiles, they're not Jewish, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay. And so he tells them all that. And then you move into chapter three, verse one, for this reason, for, the, for what he just said, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, because we are being built together to be the body of Christ, the spiritual body, we're all connected, right? Um, it doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. We are all being built together as brothers and sisters in Christ, in the body of Christ. We are the, the bride of Christ. It's a, a spiritual body, a spiritual building that's just being built up together. And, and the more we live for Christ, the stronger that, that building is, okay? Um, it's incredible. And so in verse one, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. It's an interesting statement because Paul, at this point, he's a, uh, he's a prisoner in Rome. He's under house arrest in Rome for, for preaching the gospel, for teaching about Jesus. Um, he had been wrongly accused in, uh, in Jerusalem and he appeared, you know, he appealed to Caesar, right? Um, and so they've sent him to Rome and he's under house arrest now. Um, which means he would have freedom to move around the house. But at night, um, history tells us that he would have been chained, you know, to a Roman soldier when he slept to make sure he didn't escape. Right. Um, but it's interesting. He doesn't say, I, Paul, the prisoner of Rome. He says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. So why does he say that? Um, although Paul was, again, a prisoner of Rome, he didn't consider himself a prisoner of Rome. He considers himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul understands that he's in prison by the will of Christ. He's in prison by the allowance of Christ. Now, either Jesus caused Paul to be put in prison or he allowed him to, to be in prison, which means it has at least the passive approval of Jesus, right? So either Jesus put him in prison and, and willed him to be there, or Jesus allowed him to be there. So either way, you know, Jesus has approved it at least passively, right? Meaning he may not have caused it, but since he allowed it, it has, as Jerry Bridges says, at least his passive approval. And so Paul understands himself. He doesn't, he doesn't consider himself a victim 
of his earthly circumstances, right? Paul, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, okay? And that, that's just a perspective that's, that's just, frankly, very hard. It's, it's, a, it's a perspective of immense maturity in our walk with Jesus, right? Um, to understand that, that, that the circumstances that we're in, the difficulties we're in, we're in either by the will of Christ or the allowance of Christ. So no, he doesn't consider himself a prisoner of Rome. You know, he's there for Christ. He's in prison for Christ. He's in prison for preaching Christ. And he's in, in prison either by the will or the allowance of Christ Jesus. And, uh, and again, that's a perspective that that's very difficult to have. It's something that you just don't wake up one day and get. But to understand that you are where you are by the grace of God and that Jesus Christ is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And you're just, you're not a victim of earthly circumstances. If you're in Christ today, you are where you are again, either by the will of Christ or the allowance of Christ. And Paul's heart is centered on Christ. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's not the prisoner of Rome. You and I are not the prisoner to bad health. We're not a prisoner to the enemy. Uh, we're not a prisoner to the devil. We're not a prisoner to financial hardship, right? Whatever difficulties or prisons we're in, right? We can be in an emotional prison. Um, we can be in a financial prison. Obviously, we can be in a physical prison, right? Um, you know, we, we're not victims, okay? Jesus is there with us, okay? So Paul says, that, that he is the prisoner of Christ Jesus, okay? Um, what's interesting, again, is that, you know, Paul, again, is in a Roman jail. Um, again, he's under house arrest. But look how he's using his time, okay? Most of us don't do well when we're in prison, right? Like I said, it could be a physical prison or even any type of metaphorical prison. When we're imprisoned emotionally, when just we're imprisoned financially, when we're imprisoned relationally, right, Corinne? We don't do very well, right? Most of us feel sorry for ourselves. And I mean, it's just a terrible time and we just want it to end. But Paul, again, why he's, he's, uh, he's in this and, you know, he's a prisoner of Rome. He's thinking, you know, how, how, are, how are my brothers and sisters in Ephesus doing? And so he takes the time to write this letter. And, and I mean, it's it's the Bible now. It's the word of God. And so, uh, you know, Oswald Chambers says, you know, never does God's, God get more glory than when we'll give our best when we're at our worst. To pour yourself out for Jesus in difficult circumstances, you'll never know the glory that you'll bring to your heavenly father, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. And what can be accomplished if we will give our best when we're at our worst, right, Rap? He's writing this letter from prison. Instead of feeling sorry for himself and down on himself, he wants to know and he wants to build up, you know, the uh, these Christians in Ephesus, um, you know, and of, you know, Paul wrote like half the New Testament. He wrote 13 of the 27 books. And, and, and about half of those, or a little over half of those, he wrote from prison. Right. So this this attitude that he's going to be productive and build up the body of Christ, regardless of his situation, is something we surely want to emulate. Right. For this reason, I, Paul, 
the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. It seems like a, you know, an awkward phrase for the sake of you Gentiles, right? Remember, there's only two groups of people in the Bible, um, those who are Jewish, right, and have a Jewish heritage, and everyone else, right? If you're not of Jewish heritage, you're a Gentile, biblically. Um, and Paul says that he's a prisoner for their sake, right? And he's going to go on to explain how the Gentiles now have equal access to God as the Jews, that all of us have equal access to God uh, in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 2, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. It's interesting. Um, obviously, he's, sell, he's telling them that, you know, they know about Paul. They know about, you know, uh, the understanding and the revelation that Paul has. Paul, first of all, makes, makes sure that, that we understand that the revelation that he has, the understanding that he has is not his own. It's, it's given to him by the grace of God. Um, as teachers, as ministers, as pastors, as elders, as deacons, those of us who teach the word of God, those of us who preach, um, if we're able to do it, if we have revelation, we really need to understand that's not because we're wonderful. It's not because that we're better than others, but it's because it's been revealed to us by the grace of God, right? You know, by the grace of God, I'm privileged to teach this Bible, um, uh, you know, I don't believe by any means I'm adequate to do it. Frankly, I believe I need to do a far better job in it. But the fact that I am able to do it and the extent or the skill at which I am able to do it is clearly by the grace of God, right? If not for the Holy Spirit, if not for the Holy Spirit enlightening the scriptures and leading me and training me and teaching me, I, I could teach nothing in this scripture. I would understand nothing in this scripture. So like Paul, Paul says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Okay. So that, there's another important point in here, right? May that when you've been given the grace of God, when you've been given revelation and understanding about who Jesus is, when you're able to understand and comprehend the scriptures and you do put in the work to grow to know the scriptures and you study the scriptures and you, you know, you study the, the great church fathers who have, who have commentated on the scriptures and others, right? And you come to a, an understanding of the scriptures. It is by the grace of God, but it's not for yourself, right? The reason we understand these things is not just so we can enjoy them for ourselves. Paul says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So the understanding and the knowledge, Peyton, that you have about Jesus, what you have, Chloe, Ian, Benny, the understanding you have in the word of God is not just for you. It's for you to share it. It was given to you so that you can give it away. Paul says, given to me for you. Verse three, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. Okay, that's verse three. Now we'll go down to verse six. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So when he says in verse three, that, the, that that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly, 
We want to know what is the mystery Paul's talking about? Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, okay, through the good news of Jesus, okay, through the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, Becky, is that your God, this is the gospel, your God, Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, entered this world and became a human man for you and for me, right? He went on to live a perfect life righteous life on your behalf and on my behalf, a righteous life we could in no way live, all right? He then went on to die a perfect, righteous, torturous death. He died a torturous death that you and I deserve to die and should have died and then gone and gone and spent an eternity in hell, right? That's what we deserved. So he lived a righteous life in our place that we couldn't live. He then died a torturous death in our place that we should have died and was raised from the dead. Okay. That's the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus died in your place, was punished in your place, suffered in your place, and lived a perfect righteous life in your place, then was raised from the dead. And that by receiving him, John 1.12 says that yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. That by believing that good news, all of your sin, past, present, and future sin, is credited to Christ at the cross. And that perfect righteous life that Jesus lived when he walked the earth is credited to you. When you, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you put your full trust and reliance and confidence in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, all of your sin is credited to Jesus at the cross and the perfect righteous life he did is credited to you by God the Father. That exchange, that incredible exchange is the heart of the Christian gospel. That's the good news, okay? So when he says this mystery is that through the gospel, that's the gospel. You ought to be able to articulate the gospel, right? You ought to be able to articulate in a sound way what the gospel is. So again, listen to that again, right? The gospel, the good news. And again, I'm not gonna repeat it all again, but that your God, God the Son, Jesus, the Son of God, became a human man on behalf of all humanity. He lived a perfect, righteous life for us all, died a, a perfect, righteous, torturous death for all, and was raised from the dead. And by believing that and receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all of your sin, past, present, and future, will be credited to Jesus at the cross. He will take it. He'll pay that debt of sin that you and I deserve to pay. And the perfect righteous life he lived will be accounted to us or credited to us as if we lived it, right? Um, again, that incredible exchange, that, that is the heart of the gospel. So this mystery is that through the gospel, not only are we saved, as we just said, but the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, those who didn't have the Old Testament, those who had really no revelation of God at all, 
This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Israel were the Jewish people who had the word of God, who had the covenants, who had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, you know, all the prophets, right? This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The promise is only in Jesus. In Jesus, whether we're Jewish or whether we're non-Jewish and Gentiles, we, we, we have equal access to God and we're members together of one body, the body of Jesus Christ our Lord. We're members. We have equal access to the Father um, and we are equally part of the spiritual body of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's incredible right? So that's the mystery, is that there's no more division, right? There's no more division between Jew and Gentile. Now, the irony is, and we talked about this in Bible study yesterday, and it's a terrible irony, is that although we all have equal access, we have, we have in the church today created just a tremendous sinful division of ourselves because we can't get along. Okay, so although Paul makes it clear here, there's no more division between Jew and Gentile. We now in the church, and I've said this several times with our 1100 denominations and counting as ridiculous as that sounds, right? Because we can't get along, David, right? Um, because of our 1100 denominations, right? We have created these divisions inside the church. And we often forget that we're all members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And because of our lack of unity in the body of Christ, because the church is so separated and naturally all the denominations believe that theirs, their view on things is right. Um, and we, we, we genuinely lack almost all humility in it, right? Because of that, the, the church is in many ways impotent, right? We're, uh, we're in many ways powerless, we don't by any means see anything like the power of God that was manifested in the early church when they had an immense unity and a tremendous unity, okay? Um, I personally don't believe that God has changed, right? I'm not a cessationist, right? I obviously believe that we do not see the power of God at work in any manner or in any way like we did in Jesus or in the apostles or in the early church. That's a fact. I personally don't believe that's God's fault. I don't believe that he's changed. I believe that we're the problem. I do believe that if we came to a unity, we came to uh, a, a, a genuine humility of unity and we humbled ourselves and we got together on the same page, I believe that the power of God will begin to manifest again in those ways. Uh, candidly, I, I don't have a lot of hope for that. Uh, frankly, I hope Jesus comes back today, right? Come Lord Jesus. We, uh, you know, uh, the church is still being used by Jesus. It's our job to be used as we're going to see here, um, you know, a little bit later in, in, uh, in this chapter. Um, but you know, we have made a mess of things. Um, we do need to repent as a church. Obviously we need to agree on just the common understanding of the word of God, okay? We all have the same Bible, 
but we can't get along to just simply read this Bible, study this Bible, and take its plain, you know, it's just plain meaning from what it's saying, which is what we do here. Um, again, we have to have sound theology. We have to have sound doctrine. Um, but we can be very, very petty. And Father, I ask you to forgive us. I ask you to forgive me, Father. We're certainly, I've been a part of this problem. Um, Father, I pray that, that we would come together as a body of Christ, that we would be united in the truth of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we would be united in the truth and the sound understanding of the word of God, the son of God, the gospel of God, that we would come together in unity in the advancement of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us, Father. Forgive us, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. All right, verse four. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, okay? This is really the meaning of reading the whole Bible is so that we can understand and have insight into the mystery of Christ, right? That's why I say every time when we we start this teaching, are you are you growing to spend time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus? We're going to spend all eternity growing to know the mystery of Christ and the the riches that our heavenly Father will continue to to open up of his grace and to understand the deeper and deeper and deeper and the never-ending mystery of Christ, right, sweetheart? Uh, my wife loves the verse Proverbs 25 too. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. We always want to go deeper in Jesus and understand all the, you know, the hidden things in Christ more and more and more and more. And many of them have been revealed now, okay? This has been revealed to us, but look at Paul says in verse five, which was not made known to men in other generations, which was not made known. Verse four, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets, and Paul being chief among them, right? Um, so again, you notice that Paul just didn't figure this out on his own. It has been revealed by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the revelation and the understanding and the, the ability to understand the word of God, the, the ability to understand Christ, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Wow. Paul says, which was not, which was not made known to men in other generations. We have such a privilege, right? The church is in the most privileged state of any time in the history of humanity, okay? From the beginning when God created Adam and Eve all the way up to the present day, never have a people been more blessed. Other men and women of God would have loved to, to understand this mystery, would have loved to understand that the, the Messiah is here and who the Messiah has done and the Messiah is Jesus and that he's the son of God, God the son, and he became a human man and he, and he lived that perfect life and died that torturous death for us and has been raised from the dead, right? Um, and the fact that there's no more division among God's people, right? This revelation and this ministry that, that, that men and women long ago would have loved to have this, but it wasn't revealed to them. But it has been revealed to us now. We actually have this incredible Bible 
the, the, the full revelation of the word of God, y'all. And it's just, uh, man, Lord, I just thank you, Lord. And again, I just, it grieves me how much I, I take this for granted, candidly, right? I really do, Chris. I just take it, I, I do take it for granted. I'm thankful for it. But man, we have such a privilege of the day and time we're living in, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse seven, <clears throat> I became a servant of this gospel. Are you a servant of the gospel? Okay. Again, we, we certainly spend our lives serving ourselves, right? Um, but are you a servant of the gospel? Paul said, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, right? It is a gift for us to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. But we've been given this incredible gift, this opportunity by the grace of God to be a servant of the gospel. Are you using that gift? Are you serving the gospel of Jesus Christ? I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Again, by God's grace, we understand this. It's not because we're amazing. It's, it's his unmerited favor toward us. We don't earn it, right? Verse 8. This is an interesting verse. Okay, verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, okay, given me through the working of his power, right? Verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me. What does he mean by that? Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace would be given me. Now, why would Paul say this? You know, what does he even mean by this? Although I am less, less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me. And here's the grace to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay. So there's two points here. The first one I want to say, why does he say all that he is the least, less than the least of all God's people? When at the time of this writing, Paul is undoubtedly the greatest Christian to ever live. And when we look back, I think we will find that this apostle Paul, St. Paul, right, um, who wrote half the New Testament, will probably go down as the greatest Christian, the most productive Christian, the most fruitful Christian, the most devoted Christian to ever walk the earth. So why would he then say that he is less less than the least of all God's people. You know, the more, we, uh, the more we grow in our relationship with Jesus, the closer we grow to Jesus, certainly the more joy we have, right? The more peace we have, the more love we have. But also what ought to come with that is a greater awareness of, of how much we're not like Jesus. There ought to be a desire in your heart and in my heart, the closer we grow to Jesus, there ought to be a grief and an understanding of how much we're not like him and how much we want to be like him, okay? Paul is obviously, in actual fact, not less than the least of all God's people. But in his devotion to Christ and his desire to be like Christ, he's so acutely aware of the areas that he's not like Jesus, as far as he can tell, he's not looking at everybody else. We have a tendency to look at other Christians, at other believers, and be happy that we're better than them. 
You, we really do, right? Obviously, we're generally smart enough not to speak like that, hopefully, right? But in our hearts, we have this idea when we look around and we understand that, say, we're more mature or, or we're living a more righteous life. We, we can have a problem. We can have a certain pride in that. And we do, okay? Um, all of us do. Um, when you examine yourself and I examine myself, uh, again, all we ought to be able to see is Jesus. Everything else ought to not matter not. And when I'm before Jesus and, and, and Jesus is with me, and again, I do have a joy and a peace and an excitement, but at the same time, there's this understanding that I, I just have to be the worst of sinners, right? As Paul said, and you know, he, he repeats a similar point in 1 Timothy, what is it, 1.15, Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And again, obviously he's not the worst, but Again, all he sees is, again, how much Christ has done for him and how much, how far he falls short of the standard of Christ. And that drives Paul in joy to want to be like Jesus. So when he says here, although I am less than the least of all God's people, again, it's just a perspective we ought to have. It's a humility that we ought to have. We're not better than anyone else, okay? We're certainly not. Now, it doesn't mean, of course, as we grow and mature in Christ, everyone is at a different maturity level, but our focus ought not be that we're more mature than the next guy. We ought to understand that, you know what? I'm so sinful that Jesus died for me more than anyone else. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me, right? You and I have been given incredible grace in Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we certainly did not deserve, right? Not by any means that we deserve it. That's the meaning of grace. It's God's unmerited favor to us. Grace is when we get blessings from God, right, Riley, that we do not deserve. Happy birthday, Riley, 15 years old. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yesterday, this grace was given me, and here's the grace, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, okay? He just gave every minister, every teacher, every pastor, every deacon, every elder, every Christian, every everything, okay? Here is the meaning of what it means to be a minister for Jesus. And all of us are called to be ministers. Most of us don't do this full-time like I do and other full-time pastors and teachers and ministers do it, right? But here's why we exist, okay? The grace of God has given us not to advance the church, not to advance our ministry, right? This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you have a lifestyle, man or woman of God? Do you have a lifestyle, pastor, preacher, apostle, prophet, evangelist, do you have a lifestyle minister of preaching and teaching the unsearchable riches of Christ? And I'm not talking about in the pulpit. Of course, we ought to be doing it in the pulpit. If, you're, if we're not doing it in the pulpit, then we're just totally off base. But do you have a lifestyle of preaching and teaching and speaking about the unsearchable riches of Christ Monday to Sunday, seven days a week, your focus ought to be to talk about the unsearchable riches of Christ, okay? Obviously, when we're doing it in the pulpit, you want to examine yourself. And if your sermons are not about Christ 
and the riches of Christ and growing to know Jesus. Just go back and look. How many times do you bring up the name Jesus in your sermons? Okay. If you say the name God more than you use the name Jesus, then you're probably out of balance. Okay. Jesus ought to always be on our lips. There is no God save Jesus, right? We obviously have a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, one being, three separate individual persons, right? In Jesus Christ, we have relationship with them all. But it's all about Jesus, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. There's so much, it goes so deep, we'll spend all eternity searching it out, right? But it's our job to continue to, to get revelation of Christ and who is Christ. All scripture in the Bible ultimately points to Christ, right? The whole Bible's about Christ, okay? No Jesus, no God, no meaning, no nothing. With Jesus, we have relationship with the triune God. God the Father is our heavenly Father. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and Master and King. God the Holy Spirit is our guide, our counselor, our comforter. Let us make a bigger habit as Christians of speaking and teaching about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Just whatever knowledge or understanding or wisdom or love you have in Christ, you ought to be increasingly sharing it. And again, not just on Sunday, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Verse 9. And to make plain to everyone, everyone, that's interesting. He doesn't say to make plain to the elect, okay? to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things, okay? So here is the heart of God, okay? To make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, to make plain to everyone that in Jesus Christ, in the good news of Jesus Christ, every human being in the world has equal access to the triune God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, okay? Um, and, and that's to be made, made plain to everyone, Paul says. Not a particular group of people, not to the elect, not to those that are predestined, not to those who are chosen, but to make known to everyone. Now, yes, there are, you know, predestination and election and being chosen are a reality, as we've talked about in previous teachings. The scripture makes that clear, okay? What's not clear is what was the reasoning of God for those he chose to salvation. What was the basis by which he elected some to salvation, right? Um, you know, what was the cause of God predestining some, right? Um, 1 Timothy 2.4 says it's God's will that all men and women be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says it's God's will that no man or woman perish. Without Jesus Christ, all of us spend eternity in hell, separated from the triune God, and that's not his will, right? You're not sure you're, you're, you know Jesus today. Give your life to him now. Just receive him now, right? Just humble yourself before him and just simply call out to him, Lord Jesus, I, I confess I am a sinful person, Lord, and I know, Lord Jesus, I confess I am hopeless, helpless, and desperate without you. But Jesus, I believe you are the son of God, and I believe you came into this world and lived a perfect life for even me. 
and died a perfect death even for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today, Lord Jesus. And I thank you today, Jesus. I believe you are alive and risen today, Lord Jesus. And I ask you now, therefore, to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's a Christian. Now, again, it's not those words. You don't just puppet words, but you do use your words to communicate your heart to Jesus. So go ahead and use those words if you're not sure. Give your life to Jesus, but it, but it, absolutely it's the sincerity and the genuineness of those words, the sincerity of your heart, the genuineness of your heart, the authenticity of your heart in giving your life to Jesus and receiving Jesus. And if you are sincere and, and you are meaningful and you, you genuinely understand your hopelessness and helplessness without Jesus, John 1.12 says, if, if out of that place you call on him, right? Yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, right? Romans 10.13 says that again, with that understanding in place, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? When you call out to him, knowing your need of him, knowing your desperation for him, you will be saved. So again, if you're not sure you're a Christian today, if you would say, you know what, I, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure that I'm trusting in him or relying on him or clinging to him, right? And again, just stop the tape, rewind it, use the words I use, but again, just humble yourself and receive Jesus Christ and you will become a child of God, right? And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So this just wasn't a new idea, right? From all eternity, right? Um, it was hidden in the triune God that the church would come together and that there would be no division. And whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish Gentile, no matter what race you're from, no matter what country you're from, no matter what heritage you're from, we would all be together in this one incredible body of Christ. Verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, this is an incredible verse, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms Verse 11, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What does that mean? This is powerful right here, y'all. I mean, hold up. All right. So his intent, what was the reason for this? Okay. So here was our father's intent. Heavenly father, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? They're angels and demons, okay? They're spiritual beings that are in the spiritual realms, the invisible realms, the heavenly realms. But look what he says. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the angels and to the demons. It's our job as the body of Christ. It's our job as believers. It's our job as the church. And when Paul says the church here, he's not talking about the, you know, the thousands of little buildings everywhere that we all go to, right? 
um, he's talking about the, the universal body of Christ, the spiritual body of Christ. He's saying every true believer in Jesus Christ makes up the church, right? And his intent was that through us, through the body of Christ, through each individual believer, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the angels and to the demons. So it's not, God hasn't set it up that angels are teaching you. God has set it up so that in Jesus, you are, are teaching angels, okay? That through the church, the manifold, the many-folded wisdom of God, the depth of the wisdom of God should be made known. So this is a sobering fact, May, okay? This is an extremely sobering fact that, that angels are consistently studying you and I, okay? Angels and demons are consistently, okay, throughout our days, looking to us and looking to understand the wisdom of God through you and I and how we live our lives in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so our heavenly father set it up that by studying us, that the angels would get a deeper understanding of the, the depth and the manifold, the many folded wisdom of our God and father. That's a sobering fact. When I think about that, and I just think about how foolish I can live and speak sometimes, and how many times I've been a poor example to the angels, how many times I have not shown the angels the manifold wisdom of God, but how many times I've shown them the foolishness of John, right, Esther, right, Uncle Dennis? Forgive me, Father. So again, the Lord expects us in Christ in the body of Christ, in the church, as genuine Christians, to be, to have a lifestyle through our words, our thoughts, and our actions that reveal the wisdom of God to the angels and the demons who are studying us. It's quite a responsibility, um, and it's something that uh, just in, in studying for this and preparing for this, it was just very, very, very humbling right? Um, you know, in my preparation for this, and I was, you know, I just, again, I study the text and I read what, what other men of God's, you know, say about it. And that, you know, that point was made in my study and it just is, uh, it's just sobering. His intent was that now through the church, through you and I, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known through us, making known God's wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And again, those are the spiritual forces, angels and demons in the heavenly invisible realms. Verse 11, according to his eternal purpose, everything is according to his eternal purpose. It's not just something he thought up. From all eternity, it's been the purpose of our God and Father, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 11, nothing is accomplished outside of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Everything is accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's why all we say is, are you growing to know Jesus, right, Pop? Are you growing to walk with Jesus according to his eternal purpose, Susan, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 12, in him, Jesus, and through faith in him, Jesus, 
we may approach God with freedom and confidence. No matter what race you are, right? No matter whether you're whether you're black or white or Asian or Hispanic or Indian or or you know or 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 any place in the world you're from, any country you're from, any nationality you're from, okay? Um, whether you're man or woman, whatever gender you are, in Christ Jesus, right? Through faith in Christ Jesus, in him, in Jesus, and through faith in Jesus, we approach our God and Father with freedom and confidence equally. The clear implication of the text is that without Jesus Christ, you cannot approach the triune God with any freedom or with any confidence, with any understanding, with any wisdom. We can know nothing about our God and Father, about God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We can know nothing of the triune God except in Jesus Christ our Lord, in him and through faith in him. That's why, that's why we're always talking about growing to know Jesus and walk with Jesus. As you, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You'll grow to know the Father more as you grow to know Jesus more. And again, we want, to, we want to develop a relationship with each member of the Trinity. Spend time in prayer and in praise and in worship to God the Father, but also spend time talking to Jesus. Spend time in prayer to the Holy Spirit, right? We sing the old hymn, right? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Right? Verse 13. Paul said, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul understood that, that his sufferings and the sufferings that Jesus allowed him to go through were, th were for the benefit of these Ephesian Christians and for, for all those that he was ministering to. And that, that's just a, uh, that's a perspective, again, that's very, very hard to have. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. You know, oftentimes when we're going through difficulties or trials or sufferings or hardships, and I'm so bad at this, you know, we don't have the perspective. Actually, rarely do we ever have the perspective that there is a purpose in the suffering, right? That there is a genuine purpose in this suffering, Abraham, right? And it's to be a an encouragement to others, to build up others, right? That others might understand the glory of God, Right? that others might glorify God, right? Wow, thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, just, uh, we thank you, Lord, for this letter to the Ephesians, Father. Mm. Father, I do ask you to help us to be a, a servant of the gospel by the gift that you've given us, Father. Help us to have a lifestyle of serving the gospel, and Father, I pray that you would help each one of us, Lord, to continue, Lord, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, obviously as we're preachers, but just as all Christians, men and women, Father, help us to continue to talk about just the incredible riches of, that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord, beginning in our salvation and then moving into every aspect of our lives, spiritually, physically emotionally, financially, and relationally. Thank you, Lord. Right, Melanie? Thank you, Lord. Father, we love you and we worship you and we thank you, Father. We do ask you to help us to live our lives in a way and to speak in ways that the wisdom you've given us, 
would be revealed, Father, to the angels, and that that you're you're manifold, you're manifold, you're manifolded in the depth of your wisdom, Father, could be revealed to the angels through our lifestyle and through our worship and love for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts now. Give us eyes that see as we leave. Give us ears that hear and give us hearts that understand you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.